Holly G with the Golf Insiders with a very, very special guest for this uh, podcast. He is uh, one of our most esteemed senior writers in the golf industry, veteran golf travel history and architecture journalist. He's an author of several books, including Discovering Donald Ross, The Architect and His Golf Courses, and currently is president of Divot Designs, a golf course design consultant firm. So we've got a lot to talk to him about, especially on a few days before the big event that's going to happen at Iconic Seminole Golf Club, which is a Donald Ross design golf course. My pleasure to introduce Bradley Klein. Hello, my friend. Uh, I'm not president of Divot Designs. It is my company. I'm the sole employer, and as I like to say, I needed a job, so I hired myself, and now I work for a nonprofit. So. Else, I thought maybe you were, you know, um, trying to qualify for the PPP, but I, I know you're uh, enjoying a little bit of retirement right now, and good for you. Actually, I'm very busy. I've got uh, six or seven active uh, consults, uh, three restorations, doing a bunker project, and uh, I can't get on an airplane right now, but um, a lot of those are drivable projects um, within range, so um, I'm keeping busy. So, well, that's a very out. that's a very good thing. Unfortunately, you know, pretty much all the golf courses have opened up, and I think people are beginning to appreciate that golf is a social distancing sport, and hopefully, it's going to bring some new people into the game. You know, I've been writing a lot about golf in the era now of the pandemic and uh, what it's going to what's going to happen to it afterwards, and I think it's actually. Uh, a very healthy period for the game itself. Maybe not the business of golf, but the game is thriving because people realize that it's about the healthiest thing you could be doing outdoors right now and still stay safe. Still stay safe. Uh, I, and um, I, I think that's why all the courses that are open are, are packed because people have nothing else to do. You get more space on a golf course than you do on a walking trail now. So uh, I agree. Nice. And I think we're seeing a lot of casual golfers, you know, that are, that are uh, playing a lot more golf than they ever have and probably bringing along, you know, uh, friends and family to, to play along with them, which is great for the sport. I'm with you. I'm very bullish on the future of the game. Well, the other thing that's going on is people are walking a lot more because it's harder to use a cart and they're limited to solo and you never know if they're clean enough. So uh, there's a lot, well, all of a sudden people who couldn't uh, walk are walking. Uh, to po- pull in their bag on a car, on a trolley or uh, you know with a carrying that on a light bag, and the other thing that's great is that people don't seem to be as mindful about you know demanding certain conditions like twelve or thirteen on a stint meter. If the, if the greens are rolling reasonably smooth. Uh, people are appreciative. I think that everybody knows that golf courses are working with understaffed maintenance crews, and they're getting the stuff done basically. So fairways might be a little longer, roughs a little shaggier, bunkers. There are no rakes anyway, so, you know, everybody's, I think, playing golf for the fun of it rather than for some kind of a competitive drill, so I, I just think it's great to see. Well, I know what's going to be big-time fun, and that is having live golf on television this Sunday, 
from 2 to 6 p.m. East Coast time on NBC, the recently announced tailor-made driving relief skins game that's going to include Rory McIlroy, world number one, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, and Matthew Wolf, who's a up-and-coming player, has already notched a couple victories um, in the uh, fall uh, of last year. So this is exciting. Seminole, a, a rarely seen, um, iconic, iconic Donald Ross design, Brad. Uh, how does this rate? in his overall portfolio of work well it's certainly uh, you know ross designed 410 golf courses this is right up there uh, among the top three or four that he ever did in his life that's right up there i think it's more interesting uh, than any other golf course he did uh, you, you'd have to rank pioneers number two out there for being famous and oakland hills the uh, u.s opens and pgas and oak hill and rochester but the beauty of Seminole, first of all it's never been on tv it's never, it was never in the show's wonderful world of golf or any of those things. And really, kudos to the membership and to the club for allowing a peek behind what's always been a very restrictive uh, access club. And uh, I, you know, there won't be any spectators out there, but uh, it's going to be fascinating, first of all, to see it. And I hope we get a lot of aerial shots and drone imagery because it's, a fan it's sitting on a dune. And it, the beauty of the golf course is it's routed back and forth to a high point of about 40 feet. And that's a ridge that becomes a kind of focal point for all the really great golf courses in south of Florida. And uh, Seminole dates back to 1929, and it's always been highly regarded. Ben Hogan loved it, played it all the time as a practice course because of its strategic complexity. And it's been uh, recently restored by uh, Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw, and it's kind of glowy, sandy, with enough elevation and hopefully the wind will be howling, and uh, it'll be fascinating to watch. Uh, for those who may not know, Seminole is located against the Atlantic Ocean in Juneau Beach, which is just north of West Palm Beach. And um, yes, the, the wind is going to be significant, uh, but of course, the distance that these guys play it, play the, play, uh, the ball, we know um, that could come into some uh, question here on this iconic course, Bradley. Is that a good thing or bad thing for Seminole? Well, uh, I think it's going to be a revealing thing. Uh, first of all, the golf course is strategically brilliant uh, and has always been because you're always hitting different shots, and I mean literally left to right, right to left, so that, you know, if you if your tee shot uh, on the opening hole is a little left to right, then the second shot's right to left, and then it flips all the time. So you, uh, you know, you're, you're doing that a lot. Actually, the first tee shot's left to right, then second is right to left, and back and forth. You're always adjusting, so you really can't play one shot. Also, because of the wind, you got to keep. The higher you hit it, the the more you're, you know, going to be up there uh, with the gods and uh, throwing the ball around. So you got to control it under the wind, which should be big advantage to Rory McIlroy, for example. The, the limitation, however, I think could be stunning uh, and uh, maybe a little bit shocking to some people because the golf course is only 6,850 yards from the back tees. And um, now it holds up pretty well when the wind is blowing, but none of the par, there are four par fives that are all under 515, 520. 
And uh, on a calm day, they'll be hitting six and seven iron into those fives. So I'm a little worried, and even on the dog legs, the famous sixth hole, uh, which Hogan described as one of the greatest four pars in the world, it's 388, uh, and it's a, um, a right-to-left tee shot and a left-to-right second shot, uh, kind of offset. Uh, but, you know, it's not designed for driver lob wedge. It was designed for driver six iron. So um, I'm just a little afraid that the or uh, concerned that the limitations of the tour level play could overwhelm uh, the uh, the golf course. Now it'll still be fun to watch because if that's the case, they'll all be making birdies and eagles. But from a shot making club selection, you always want to have people hit middle irons and you know seven and eight irons into into par fours rather than uh, lob wedge and sand wedge. So that's the one thing I worry about here. Well, I'm a huge Donald Ross fan because you did mention. My favorite Donald Ross course, Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York, where I grew up playing junior golf. Uh, this particular course, Seminole, is ranked number 12 on Golf Digest, America's 100 Greatest Golf Courses. And it's never been out of the top 20 since the rankings began in 1966. That really uh, shows a test of time, but not only donald ross's designs but the course itself well yeah and um you know i'm i'm I, i'm historically i got to say partial to golf league ratings because i ran them started them and ran them for 20 something years so um seminal always was in, was in our top 10 uh, of the of the golf league's uh, classic courses and deservedly so and it's, you could say the same thing for the rankings in golf magazine all of them Everybody recognizes the, the strategic brilliance, the location, uh, the sense of the sea, the salt air. Uh, there are a couple of holes where you can look up and, you, you know, there is a sort of seawall, a little bit of a dune and a, a, some growth that protects from erosion. But when you're on the 16th, 17th, and 18th holes, you're right up against it and you see uh, from the 12th, 13th, the, the whole back nine really exposed. It sits along the coast area. So you're right there and it's... Um, in that sense, it's a rare golf course in the United States that uh, is right along the sea. And um, while you don't have actually water holes on the, the ocean, you have the dunes coming in. And one of the great things now is with the the work that Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw did, the, the sandy waste areas around the, all the holes have been exposed. So it doesn't have the formal structure of containment that it used to have for many, many years after World War II. It's back to that kind of blowsy uh, exposed raw quality and I, as long as the wind blows it's going to be really fun to watch i know you've been involved in a lot of um, restoration projects and seminole is no different uh dick wilson came in and reshaped and rebuilt uh some of the bunkers and i believe it was 1957 and as you mentioned then bill Coor and ben crenshaw have have again come in and restored the look and uh, feel of the original bunkers. Um, how do how does a course protect its its design in going through these these different phases and restorations? Well, uh, it's all different now than it was 40, 50 years ago. Um, and uh, after World War II, and this was the influence of equipment and architects who kind of turned their back on the old guys. 
with people like uh, Dick Wilson and Robert Trent Jones, when they came around uh, to try to make a name for themselves, they sort of poo-pooed a lot of classical design. And it was also sort of trendy to start planting trees and to create um, isolation of the holes and uh, all sort of formalize the bunkers so that they didn't get uh, blown away. And um, so it was a combination of things. Uh, and, you know, every course has... That, that predates World War II has had to examine this. Uh, your favorite home course, Oak Hill, is just coming out of a, a major restoration. It was shut down for a long time. Andrew Green out of Baltimore, um, who's done Inverness, he's going to do Sayote, he's doing Congressional, uh, he did a fantastic restoration at Oak Hill where they brought back a lot of the work that had been kind of lost uh, under the more uh, modern, kind of uh, cleaner um, Simplistic design, would you say? Uh, what's that? More simplistic. Yeah. In other words, yes, exactly. Everything they wanted to sort of define each hole alone. They isolated it with trees. They they put formal turf around the bunkering. They layered. They thought it was really cool to have layers of turf between uh, the, the the bunkers and the greens, rather than kind of a cut down roll off view. And um, so now that. Oak Hill has that, uh, Inverness has it, and Seminole has that as well. And uh, it takes a little more maintenance sometimes, uh, attention around the edges to keep things from breaking down, but it's worth it because what you have is a very close integration of the low-most surfaces and the hazards. So instead of having rough as a protection against the ball rolling out, the ball now kicks and you miss it a little bit, it rolls out, and it's like you missed it a lot. So. That mantra is really effective. And of course, like Seminole, it's built on sand, drains well. Uh, and so that firm surface means that any marginal spin or uh, uh, roll to the ball will kick it out. And it really places a, a premium on, on precise shot making. And the other thing that's great is it, it increases the importance of striking the ball properly and creating enough spin and having the ball come down softly. So. And then that's demanding. That's hard to do in the wind. So sometimes what you need to do is if you're not going to precisely fly it in, you can bounce it and judge it. And so they've opened up some of the, the areas in front as well. So you have a lot of variety. And the beauty of a golf course like that is that anybody can play it. Uh, I can go out to Seminole uh, if it would have let me. Again, I was blessed to be able to play there once or twice, I think. Uh, but any, my point is I'm a 14 handicap. I can go out there and have a great time. And Rory McIlroy uh, can also be tested um, in, under the right conditions. Now, again, it's a little short for guys like that. Uh, for, for Dustin Johnson, of course, every course is short for him. But um, it still is a golf course that is thrilling for everybody because everybody can play their game and try it on that golf course. And it will allow you to play the course uh, under different um, you know, strategic approaches. Bounce the ball in, fly the ball in. And so on. So that's that's the mark to me of a great golf course. And increasingly, I think that's the beauty of those older courses that um, even on inland parkland heavy soil, uh, they allow for opportunities to different ways to play the course. And that's what we're learning. You know, golf courses, the people who play tour level quality, they're very small and they don't pay the bills and they're not uh, the backbone of American golf. Uh, they're an exception and they're, they're great athletes. And I, I don't begrudge them. But you can't design the golf courses for them and still have the game playable for everybody else. And one of the things we're learning now in the industry is the sustainability of the industry 
uh, economic sustainability, you have to have people come back and have fun and pay the bills and want to go out there and feel like uh, their time was worth it rather than they got the, the heck beat out of them. So that's a big lesson we're learning in golf, and we'll get to see a golf course that, that should allow for that on Sunday at Seminole. Well, the course was designed on just 140 acres, uh, which when you consider some of these big expansive designs that you know came out in the 80s and 90s that's quite remarkable um donald ross was from scotland royal dornick uh where he was raised and first took up the game how did some of you know that topography influence him in his designs First of all, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a pedant here and tell you that he did not come from Royal Dornick. He came from Dornick because it was just a little town and a golf course. It didn't become Royal until 1906. By then, he had left. So, uh, I love making that little point because he comes from humble origins. He comes from a working class family. His father was a stonemason. He himself, Donald Ross, learned carpentry, and he walked you know, a half mile to the Dornick golf course. I learned the game. He watched old Tom Morris design it. Uh, it's on sand. It's on a dune, and it overlooks uh, the Moray Coast and the, the North Sea, actually. And um, so he, I think, got his training in that environment. He also apprenticed under old Tom Morris at, at St. Andrews. So he learned about the game under conditions where the ball would roll. Then he comes to the United States, and there weren't many sites. But lo and behold, at Pinehurst, is built on 400 feet of sand. That's natural uh, sand hills in Pinehurst. So uh, and that was one of the few opportunities he had to learn. He had to uh, sorry, apply his trade on sand, and Seminole was one of those rare others. Now, he had to drain it as well, and he created a whole interesting lagoon system to do it. That's why, while there are dunes and there's a lot of exposed sand that you'll see at Seminole on the uh, east and west sides, down the middle is a very complicated uh, system of ponds and lagoons that help drain the golf course from north to south and it all empties into a, a an outlet and um so he created that whole system of dikes levees and ponds to create that so you know the ingenuity of someone like ross to take a site and to make use of it and to both engineer it and to route it uh, and it, luckily he didn't have any homes to deal with so like you said it's not one of those real estate courses it's not uh, it's and it's on perfect you know, there's 40 feet of elevation change on the whole site. That's not, that's kind of ideal, actually. So um, it's an amazing property. It's a great routing. It fills up the entire uh, trapezoid as it, it's formed. Uh, it's wider at the base than it is at the top. It's got enough room for a range, big, beautiful uh, uh, Mediterranean-style clubhouse. And um, it's a very elegant place. And I, I, I'm so thrilled, and I think the golf world should be appreciative that the members have opened the course up. Because the other thing, by the way, Holly, that's going on, because of the pandemic, all these sun, uh, all these snowbirds who normally would have come back to Philadelphia and Boston and New York, they're down in Florida. They're staying away. So they're giving up golf for a long weekend, and uh, thankfully we'll benefit from their uh, hospitality by watching it on a Sunday afternoon. And raising a lot of money for uh, for COVID-19. Interestingly, you mentioned the clubhouse. Um, there's no window that looks out to the sea. And supposedly, Ross said the reason for that was, quote, this is a golf club, not a beach club, unquote. 
Uh, you know what? I never knew that. Uh, he certainly would not have been involved in the design of the clubhouse, but he might have been involved in its placement. I think, is this one of those Addison Meisner designs? I'd have to look it up. Um, I could find that. Anyway, the uh, it does have one of the greatest locker rooms in the world, and the beauty of the locker room is that there are small lockers arrayed around the outside, and everybody's sort of faced toward the inside. And so it has that real kind of homey, it's, it's surprisingly small, the, uh, the locker room. And it's the men's locker room um, is quite an intimate place. And it's famous for uh, the display of historic artifacts and uh, books and just the sensibility. There's one of those places you really want to stay and hang out if uh, you ever get in there. So. Well, I don't know if uh, we'll get a peek inside there, but um, it sure, uh, just looking at the picture, it's that pink stucco Spanish feeling is uh, is is quite uh, quite impressive to say the least. Yeah, that's interesting that it's not. Yeah, you're right. It's not a beach club. It's. Um, I'm trying to think. I I don't even know if they have tennis courts. I have to look here. That's what we call a true players club, right? It's a golf club. That's yeah. That's right. Uh, you know what? It it doesn't have tennis. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I would. I, it's it's a. Uh, you know, old school, just a golfer's club. Uh, so tell me a little bit, Brad, what um, Divot Designs is about. What are you doing? Well, I've actually, uh, I incorporated a design firm uh, in Connecticut in 2003 because I was doing some consulting work. And so uh, right now, um, I'm, you know, I, and I wrote the de definitive biography of Donald Ross. It's, it's a book called De Discovering Donald Ross. It's available on uh, on a website by that name, discoveringdonaldross.com. And uh, so I got asked to uh, look at the golf courses, and I've been involved. I've now got over, uh, I'm up to 110 projects that I've done over the last 30 years. And um, sometimes it's just, you know, one day consulting, writing reports. Sometimes it's more sustained. In three or four cases, it's actually doing a full master plan as I'm working on, uh, for example, a country club of Waterbury. In Connecticut, with uh, Matt Dusenberry, the architect uh, who I hired, uh, at Kennett Square in Philly, we're doing a full bunker renovation, uh, and I, I got some help from um, col collaborating with Paul Albanese on that one. So what I do, I come in to help a club, um, and if they ask me to do more substantial work, I kind of need some technical assistance because I'm not uh, very good at drawing detailed. I can't draw detailed plans, but I can sort of wave arms and you know talk about it. So. I've collaborated with lots of architects, uh, with Gil Hands, for example, at Worcester Country Club, um, and uh, Tim Liddy on projects. So I like working with different architects. I've worked with Brian Silva on, uh, I think, about eight or nine projects now. So it's been a great experience for me to see, and it's helped my writing, because what I've learned is the inside part of construction, maintenance, and operational management and the financing from a club standpoint. So I think... Um, you know, most golf writers tend to focus on competitive golf and the tour. I stay away from it, even though I know it and I cover it. But I, my focus is on the actual labor process of building, rebuilding, maintaining, and keeping up and paying for a golf course. So uh, I spend a lot of time, as my writing now is focused on, and I'm, I'm now the columnist for Golf Course Industry. I've been writing for the USGA Green Section record. I have a big piece coming out in the Golfer's Journal on my favorite golf writer, Herbert Warren Wynn. Uh, all that is from my direct experience, former PGA Tour caddy and uh, now design consultant. 
And uh, it's been a great way for me to be involved and to uh, see and learn from a standpoint that, uh, you know, you, you're not going to get in the press conference and you're not going to get by watching great players play. you got to do it uh, during the week and at five in the morning. So that's, that's how I do it. Well, that's what you call a career in golf. Well made, my friend. Bradley Klein, always a pleasure and uh, a privilege to spend some time with you. And uh, we look forward to seeing Seminole this Sunday, 2 to 6 o'clock Eastern Time on NBC. What a treat this is going to be for golf fans all around the world. You know, we would have been watching the PGA Championship from Harding Park, but uh, this is not um, a sub. What do you call it? It's not. You're not losing anything by watching this instead. So. It's a. It's a. It's a good mulligan, I'd say. Uh, oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. All right, Bradley Klein. Thanks so much. Check out uh, what's the website again? Well, it's the www.discoveringdonaldross.com. www.discoveringdonaldross.com. Check it out and uh, get get your fill of uh, all that you can of Donald Ross and Seminole. Google it because it really is going to be a special event to see this on Sunday. One of Ross's best designs and all the fantastic charity millions being raised for COVID-19. Thank you, Bradley. Appreciate your time. Oh, always a pleasure to talk with you. Take good care. Stay safe.